I wanted to talk to us about vision and, and, and how that speaks into administrating the business of God. The business of God. You and I are called to administer the business of God. And I think that's pretty amazing stuff. It's quite a responsibility we have from God to administer his business. And so that's what I want us to talk about. Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 to 19. Matthew chapter 16. So I want to connect this, plug this back to the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 to 19, Jesus is speaking here. And we want to hear that with a sense of freshness. It's not just a historical statement that Jesus once made. It is what he's saying to us, even in this very same moment. Matthew 16, verses 18 to 19, and I tell you that you are Peter. And of, of course, we are picking on a conversation that he's been having with the disciples here. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And, and I think that's quite significant how Jesus takes the personal responsibility to build his church. And we're talking his church collectively. We're talking his church, the body of Christ, but also... We're talking his church, a church such as this, Living Stones Agency. I will build my church, and then he says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. I will build. Jesus is taking personal responsibility to build. And of course, church is, we know this, it's not a physical building's people. And he's committing himself to be building a people towards the kingdom of God, towards the reality of the kingdom. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There are three fundamental realities or ideas that Jesus highlights for us upon which we are to understand this whole church reality, this whole church world. Well, the first one has to do with the fact that God or Jesus has committed himself to the mission of building the church. He takes on a personal, direct responsibility. And he says, that's my responsibility. I want to build you, LSA. I want to build you, my church. I want to build you, the body of Christ, my body. I want to build you, the universal church. So the first reality that must confront us when we read the scripture in Matthew 16 is that Jesus is building his church. The second reality that must confront us when we read Matthew 16, is that church operates in the environment of warfare. But straight after Jesus says, I will build my church, then he says this, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That presupposes this idea that church operates in the context of warfare. There is a, a spiritual warfare. So a people that are part of church must understand that they're operating the, in the environment of warfare. They, they, they have to be alert. They have to be engaged. Church operates 
in the environment or in a context of spiritual warfare. The third reality that we are confronted with out of that scripture in Matthew 16 is that church is a missional community. Jesus begins to say to us, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of God. And then you can go and bind things and loose things. And that binding and loosing, not just meaning in the sense of prayer only, but really to exercise government on behalf of God within a given territory. We are a missional community. Church operates and church must operate with a sense of mission. Three fundamental principles upon which the idea of church is to be understood. Number one is that church must be built. And a building, as you know, is an intentional process. We don't just gather aimlessly just as an excited people and wish to get somewhere. There has to be a building process. There has to be thought to what happens to church and to how what is going to happen to 2022 or in LSA in 2022. There is a building process that is geared to, towards moving us to a particular destination or state or condition in God. The second reality is that church operates in the environment of warfare. We operate in the environment of warfare. Remember, you and I are church. It means you operate in the environment of warfare. It means that Whatever that it is that God has placed in your heart that you want to pursue, you are bound to encounter warfare. If you want to build a good life inside of your life and want to build yourself as a good man, a good woman, if you want to build a good kingdom marriage, if you want to build a good family, there is going to be warfare. Jesus says we must accept this. We must understand this before we start the building process. Because if we bump into it without having considered it it prior to building, then we're going to be disappointed. We're going to be disappointed. We're going to be, you know, our, we're going to be disappointed. We have to understand that there's warfare. Number three, Jesus says, my church is a missional community. There are keys and that indicates the reality of mission, the reality of mission. Now, in the process of building, if we pick on the first principle, which is that Jesus is building a church such as Living Stones Agency. He is building a church, his church in Deben. He's building the body of Christ all across the nations of the earth. He is building you and I. He is building your family, my family, because all of that is what makes church. So if we pick on the aspect of Jesus is building his church, then we can think about what are the things that are involved in that building process. There are spiritual processes that must be activated when we're building church. There has to be knowledge. You know, there has to be teaching and the preaching of the word of God. So there has to be a dispensation of knowledge, of, of revelation. People must be saved. People must give their lives to Jesus. There has to be a process of purification of hearts and lives that we are being you know, pulled away from sin and from darkness and there has to be transformation of lives unto maturity. So 
in the building process of the church, there has to be spiritual processes that are activated so that if we're building correctly, and those processes are the dispensation of knowledge through preaching and teaching like what I'm doing right now. Knowledge must be dispensed into the hearts and minds of people. There has to be salvations. People must give their lives to Jesus Christ. There has to be purification of lives from sin and from evil and wickedness and all these things. There has to be transformation unto maturity. What is the second component in the building process? We consider in the building process the fact that we are in fact building people and people relations. We're dealing with the hearts of people. You know, um, we're dealing with the hearts of people. We're dealing with people, human beings. We are dealing with relationships in church. We're dealing with community and taking people that have not known each other, that would not have known each other, was it not for Jesus, and bring them to a place where they love one another, where they embrace one another. We have to, we have to, we have to activate this cultural interface. If it is... If it is black and Indian, black and white, and, and even tribal, you know, in terms of tribal interface, if it is black and Sutu and, and Bedi, or all of those things are involved in the building process. Which means that when you build church, you're not just showing up on Sunday with just the logistics and hiring venues. You're actually thinking about people's hearts. You're thinking about people as human beings with all sorts of issues. You're thinking about relationships and who may not like who and, and, and how we work towards reconciliation and forgiveness. You're thinking about the community dynamic that we can't just be a people showing up on Sunday morning and vanishing back into life and showing up on Sunday morning again and vanishing back into life. We are actually called by God to be a community in the midst of Devon. But also you are thinking about cultural interface. We all have been socialized a certain way. Um, uh, based on you know, our, the color of our skin and, uh, and our, our tribal culture and all of those things. And even the kinds of families, even if we're all black or all white or all Indian, the kinds of families in which we grew socialized us a certain way. And so there has to be cultural interface in the process of building church. But there is also another dynamic in the building of church, which is people groups. So church is not just a bunch of human beings. It's young people. It's old people. It's men and it's women. It's single people. It's married people. All of these components must be held in correct and proper balance and weights. And there has to be a building towards. So I have to be able to stand here as a married man, but speak to you not just understanding that not everybody here is married. I have to stand here as a male and speak to you understanding that not everybody here is male. In the kinds of examples that I use and in the way I frame what I impart must have the understanding and show the understanding of the universality of the human condition into which I'm speaking. There's young people. You know, even though I'm, you know, old and, you know, an adult, I have to speak with the idea that there are 16-year-olds here. There's young people, there's adults, there's men, there's old people, there's women, 
There's single people, there are married people. All of these people groups must be carried in a particular way. The other issue about building church is that church actually represents spheres or spaces of life. There are families here. There are people in certain vocations here. And they have to be equipped in how to walk into Our job is not to teach you how to be an accountant or engineer or in a particular trade. Our job is to equip you in how you you can interact with the workplace and with the kinds of conditions that you're going to find there. There are businesses here represented. There's the issue of citizenship. We are in South Africa within a, a defined territory, geopolitical sphere, a nation in South Africa. And so there are all these complexities about building church. Which means when we're building church, we're not just building numbers. We are building the complexity of people relations. We, we are building people groups. We are building spaces of life. And so church always has this tension between having a venue like this which can take, I think, about 200 people. That versus having the capacity to shepherd all of these realities I've just mentioned here. And oftentimes, church, you know, lacks, we always push beyond the capacity to, ch- to shepherd. And so people get lost in the, in the statistics. And we talk about churches and in numbers, in numerical terms. You know. And we fail to be granular and to look into the, 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 the specific dynamics that are represented in a particular church. So, Jesus is building the church. That's the first reality. The second reality is that church operates in the environment of warfare. Do I have the presenter for me, please? Church operates in the environment of warfare. We have the two words that we all will be familiar with in the word of God. The one word is the word devil, and the other word is the word Satan. And the word devil means one who falsely accuses. Thanks. One who falsely accuses, that's what the word, um, let's just connect this. That's what the word um, uh, devil means. One who falsely accuses. One who falsely accuses. But the word, and the word Satan means the adversary. It means that you and I, the day we committed our lives to Jesus, was a day we made an enemy. And that enemy is spiritual. That enemy has been around since the days of Adam and Eve. And there's this reality. John chapter 10 verse 10. Here's what Jesus says to us. The thief comes only to steal, to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So there's this idea about this thief who comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. How do you know when devil has been around? That stuff gets stolen. And stuff gets destroyed. In Ephesians 6 verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against rulers. Against the authorities. Against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly realms. Our struggle. And that word struggle means hand to hand combat. It describes a situation where soldiers have been fighting. And as a soldier you are left with the one opponent soldier. And you have to fight hand to hand. hand to, so it means that you and I have to touch. The warfare will touch you like it or not. The warfare will touch me. Ephesians 6 
verse 12. And the warfare from the demonic realm takes shape or manifests in different ways. Firstly, it manifests through seduction in the human heart. In the beginning, this week that's beginning, there's going to be some level of seduction in your heart, in, your, in my heart, that we're going to have to contend with. Seduction in human heart. It manifests through deception via false knowledge or thinking. We're dealing with or battling with you know, deceptive knowledge systems or um, corrupted ways of thinking. That's how the demonic realm works. But also, the demonic realm works through hostile physical circumstances. We know the story of Job and, and, and how he began to receive a report after report about all sorts of things that were going wrong. And we know in the story that the devil was behind the situations. And so we know this, that the demonic realm works in those three ways. First and foremost, through seduction, what may appear to be some form of inspiration, some form of revelation, uh, which is what happened to Eve, actually. She all of a sudden had this revelation, this inspiration, that, uh, uh, why can't we eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Surely we can. So there, there, there can be demonically inspired revelation, demonically inspired inspiration, just as there is the inspiration that comes from the Holy Spirit. The second way in which the demonic realm pushes towards us, like I said earlier, is through knowledge systems. The Bible does teach about um, uh, doctrines, false doctrines that are taught by demons. Uh, you know, and that prevalent in culture, in how people think, and how we see life, and worldviews, and all of those things, and those things are meant to shape our worldviews, and of course the third way in which the demonic realm is pushing against us is through actually, literally frustrating us by hostile physical circumstances. Bad reports. You know, battling with all sorts of issues. It, it can, be, can be sickness for one person. It can be... Uh, um, a shutting of financial doors for another person. It's different things for different people. But there are these hostile physical circumstances, and we need to understand this. And the enemy uses what we can call the currency of the flesh. The currency of the flesh. The enemy uses the currency of the flesh, and primarily the currency of the flesh is pleasure. It is this Deep desire for pleasure that is embedded within our own flesh. Pleasure, pride, desire for well-being, desire for comfort, all of those things. Pleasure, pride, desire for well-being, all of these things. And that's how the demonic realm really works. So Jesus warns us. He says, well, number one, we have to build. Number two, understand that we are operating within an environment of warfare. That whatever that you set your heart on to build towards God's righteousness shall be met with by the adversary, Satan, the devil, the opposer, the one who accuses. And then, thirdly, we're saying church is a missional community. Church is a missional community. John chapter 17, verse 17 and 18. Verses 17 and 18. Sanctif sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So we are a sent people. And to be sent means there is a mission. We are a missional community. We've been given these keys of the kingdom 
of God. And that word sent is the word apostello, which is related to the word apostolos, the word apostle. And the word apostello means to send off on a specific mission. Specific mission. Not just anything that you're going to bump into along the way, but specific mission. To be sent to, on, a, on a specific mission. The word also means to mobilize soldiers in battle formation. To mobilize soldiers in battle formation. So God organizes us according to our anointings, according to our gifts, according to, according to our capacities, according to our callings. He organizes us on a particular specific mission. So we have been sent. We're a sent community, uh, people which means that we're a missional community. Church, not just this church, not just Living Stones. Church, in the body of Christ, is a missional community. We are a sent people. We are sent people. We are on a very, very specific mission. The mission is not generic. The mission is not just anything I'm going to bump into. The mission is specific. That's how the Bible teaches us about these things. And when we talk about the mission of God, we have to understand the mission is twofold. The mission is twofold. The mission is first and foremost formative. It is formative. The mission is formative. The mission is about representing Christ through our lives and through our, ourselves as a collective people. The mission is formative. We are the body of Christ. That's what the Bible uh, you know, teaches us. And the body, not just as in the universal group, but the body as in functionally, we're collectively demonstrating the principles of Jesus through our lives. So the mission is first and foremost formative or incarnational. You know, when people look at LSA or any other church for that matter, they must see a people whose lives collectively resemble Jesus Christ. That's what this, that means, that the mission is formative. Uh, here's a scripture in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. Do everything without complaining or arguing. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a big word there, right? Do how many things? Yeah. You know, without complaining or arguing. Then it says, so that there's a so that. There's a mission to this. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars. Here's the thing about stars. Every evening, if you look up to the sky, you're going to see those stars shining. They take on position every time. They are permanently positioned to be able to beam light in a dark environment. And that's the metaphor that Paul is using for the Philippians. You are shining like stars and that word means to illuminate a dark place, to be like a torch, to be like an illuminating mechanism in a, in a dark place. You are shining like stars in the universe as you hold out. And that word hold out means to retain something, to hold it so that you don't lose it over time. As you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. So the mission is formative. You are like stars. We are positioned, you are placed, populated in darkness permanently. You are not to move from your position. You are illuminating a very dark place. How, you know, what is the darkness? The darkness is 
is in the form of values and culture and, and the way in which people live. So we are illuminating like stars. Secondly, the mission is operational. The mission is operational. So firstly, the mission is formative, and secondly, the mission is operational, which is to do the works of the kingdom of God in a particular territory, beginning with the issue of preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. We've got to do the works of the kingdom. Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 15. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to, every, to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. Before who? Before? That they may see your good deeds. And then what? Praise. Did it say praise you? No, praise your father. So, Praise your Father in heaven. In other words, there is a way in which we have to be doing things that triggers a devotional desire in people's lives. And so the mission is twofold. The mission is formative, but also the mission is operational. It's formative and it's operational. The mission is to witness or to give a testimony about Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are to, you know, give a testimony. Our witnessing again is twofold. We witness through formation and we witness through actions or through words, whatever you want to call it. The preaching of the gospel. That's the action part. But first and foremost, you and I or we as a community are called to witness through formation. So Jesus, I will build my church and I will give you the keys. And so that really brings together the two aspects of building and mission. These things must be working together. Building and mission. And building, and on the one sense, building, or on the one hand, building is an internal process of, uh, within, that takes place within the church. This is what we are doing right now, this Sunday. We are building, you know, and mission is the external process that takes place as we interface with the world out there. So building is what we're doing right now. Building is the pastoral staff within the church. It is the, it is the, it is the apostolic staff. It is the prophetic staff. It is, it, is, it is all of the stuff that has to be done within the church. And Jesus has instituted that. I will build my church. So building is the internal process that takes place within the church. Mission is the external process that takes place out there. Both these processes are engaged, remember, in the environment of warfare. There is warfare as I preach this word to you. It is battling inside of your heart and in your mind. Uh, in the circumstances you're coming out of into this meeting, the circumstances you're going back into from this meeting, the kind of week that you're going to go through. The, the, the word of God, the parable of the sower, remember. The word of God can be lost along the way. So the parable of the sower is designed to make us understand that the preaching of the message of the kingdom takes place in an environment of warfare. 
There is the choking of the word. There is, there, is, there is a shallow ground. There is all sorts of things that take place uh, you know, to, to, to frustrate the proclamation of the word of God. So church is not an innocent place. Church can be very, very hostile. It is good people who love Jesus, but church can be very hostile. If you've been saved for a decade and beyond, you, you would understand that. How hostile church can be. So, building is the internal process, but it is, an, you know, it will encounter warfare. Mission is the external process. Building, when it comes to building, we see that God has called ministers of the gospel in the church to preach, to teach, to lead, and to oversee. That's what, these, are, these are biblical words that we're using here. To preach, to teach, to lead, to oversee. To facilitate salvations, purification, transformation, equipping of believers. Leaders are supposed to act where there are issues and problems. When there's issues of sin, the leaders must protect the purity of the church. Their responsibilities, like what I'm doing, to preach and to teach, to transmit understandings and to impart areas of understandings to the saints. The mission is that God calls ministers and believers together to stand together to reach out to, to a dying world, to use an evangelistic phrase, a dying world. And that's correct. The world is dying. And so ministers and believers must stand together to reach out to a dying world. And that world is not the world that needs you and I to get into the plane and go somewhere else. It's the world around you. It's the world of your cousins. It's the world of, of your uh, work colleagues. It's the world of your friends, of your neighbors. That's the world we are talking about. So you and I need to be thinking about how do we touch, how do we evangelize the world around us? Sometimes, you know, it's easy to get into the plane and go to places. Or it's easy to get into the car and go to a place. But the real challenge in the mission is this. Is that God has called you and I to touch the world around us. The immediate, your work colleagues tomorrow. Do they know that you are saved? Have you witnessed to them? Have you spoken about Jesus to them? Have you asked to pray for them? These are some of the things that we have to consider in the process because we are called to, to minister to these people, to, to impact them, to, to bring them to the understanding of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The mission and building, or building and mission work together. The mission is the outworking of a vision of, from God in the hearts of the people. The mission, so Jesus says, I'm building and I'm giving you the keys. There is a building aspect. There is a missional aspect. The mission is the outworking of a vision, a revelation, a, a bedding from God. God places a bedding upon the church. The mission is the outworking of a vision from God in the hearts of the people. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses uh, 2 to 3. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on, table, on tablets. Not meaning iPad and and this tablet that I'm using here, you know, meaning stones, rocks. 
The Lord answered and, uh, me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that they, that they may run who reads, uh, that he may run who reads it. Verse 3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, and it will, it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. There are aspects of wisdom that we get from this scripture. There are the scriptures filled with certain ideas and assumptions and stuff like that. God says, write the vision. There is a need to document the mission, right? To document it, to put it in, in ink and paper, if you're using today's language. The mission must be documented. Make it plain. It must be taught. It must be understood. Make it plain on tablets. And of course, in the New Covenant, we're dealing with the tablets of hearts, right? We're not dealing with the tablets of stones. We're dealing with the tablets of hearts. And so it must be understood in human heart. Make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. The next thing that must happen with the vision or the mission is the mobilization of a company. God initially does not speak to a company. He speaks to one man and calls that person or maybe two people and mobilizes those people to begin to capture that vision, to make it plain, and then to mobilize a company around that vision. In verse 3, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. That phrase appointed time means a predetermined time for a specific activity. The idea is this. The time at which God releases the vision of the mission is not the time for the mission. Because there is a future that that mission is designed for. So a people who receive a vision from God must understand that they have to start the journey. Long before the appointed time, they must start the journey of working towards that appointed time. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, a predetermined time for a specific activity. You start the vision in a season that is dry, in a season that is hostile, in a season of meaninglessness. Because it's not yet the time when you start. And then God says this, at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, the idea of that, in that phrase is that the vision will what? Will tarry. The vision will? The vision will? The vision will tarry. Talk to me, guys. The vision will tarry. That's, that, that is implied in, that is what is implied in that phrase, though it tarries. The vision will tarry. And that word tarry does not just speak of the proceeding of time. It speaks about a process of going through a season of hesitation and reluctance, of asking questions about what God has said. That's the tearing of the vision. And then he says, wait, which, is, which means delayed action. Don't enter into, don't, don't engage in premature activities or in, in premature action. So that requires discipline, right? To be measured and to be disciplined in the midst of a tearing vision, a delayed vision, a people are called to wait. Why are we waiting? Because the vision will surely come. It will not tear you. The promise of the Lord is that it will surely come. So though it tarries, tarrying meaning not just that time lapses or time moves, but tarrying meaning 
going through a process of wrestling through that vision, of asking questions, of, 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 of challenging and of opposing things that seek to challenge the vision of God on the inside of you. Everybody that has, or people that have a vision from God must learn to tarry and to wait because they know that the vision will surely come. The mission is the outworking of a vision from God in the hearts of the people. It reminds us of the word John 17, 18. I have sent them, apostello. I'm sending them on a specific mission. The mission is the outworking, in other words, of the specific will of God in a people. So to be missional, to be missional, if, it's, if I say that I'm a missionally, I'm a missional pe- person, you know, I'm missionally minded. To be missional is to be, is to not be, is, 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 is not to be random and aimless in our activities. To be missional is about pursuing that specific thing that God has laid in our hearts. Sometimes we have this idea that, you know, to be missionary is just moving from a thing, from one thing to another, touching everything. So busy people can look missional sometimes. Or people that look busy can be understood to be a missional people. But actually to be missional, especially if we understand it in the context of Habakkuk chapter 2, which involves engaging or pursuing a vision, but tearing in the process and exercising discipline and waiting because you know that this thing is going to actually happen one day. It's going to happen one day. It's going to happen one day. So if we are missional, we are sent people. The mission is the outworking of the specific will of God in a people, in a community. To be missional is not to be random and aimless in our activities. To be missional is about pursuing that specific thing that God is calling us to be and to do. That specific thing. But here's the other thing, LSA. The mission will actually cost you. Is that true? The mission will cost you. The mission has to cost you. Philippians 1, verses 27 to 29. Above all, reading from the NLT here. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or, any, or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing how? Standing how? Side by side, fighting how? Together for the faith which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by, our, by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even, even by God himself. Then it says this in, in verse 29. For you have been given not only the privilege of, of trusting in, in Christ, but also the privilege of what? Suffering, Suffering for Christ. You have been given... Not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Christ. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 29, in the, in the NIV it says this, For it has been granted, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. 
This verse in verse 29, Philippians 1, means this. It means that we must cross a line from believing in Christ to suffering for Christ. I think, I think part of the tension in the church is in the thousands or millions of people that are part of church. I'm not, when I say church in this case, I'm not just talking about LSA. I'm talking about churches. Is the number of people that have crossed the line from believing to suffering. When I say suffer, I don't mean like somebody's going to put a gun. It's, it's not, don't think somebody's going to put a gun on you. And, or just think about you know, being sacrificial, giving your life, giving your resources, giving your time to what God has called us to be and to do. We must cross that line from believing in Christ to suffering for Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, cross that line. Cross that line. We've got to cross that line, LSA. And that's the tension that, you know, a church exists in. The mission takes place amidst, amidst the tension of shortage, but we are invited to pray for an increase from God. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is how? Plentiful. But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. The mission takes place amidst the tension of what? Of shortage. But we're invited to pray for an increase. So Jesus is saying, well, don't just feel sorry for yourselves that the, the workers are few. He says, pray. Yeah? Ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest to supply resource in proportion to the harvest that's before you. Ask the Lord of the harvest. We've got to be asking the Lord of the harvest, LSA, to supply according to the harvest that he's giving us, according to the you know, scope of purpose that he is calling us into. We've got to ask the Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the, harv- the harvest. Let's, as we learn this, let's, you know, um, specify it a little bit. Let's zoom it a little bit into you know, the LSA journey. If we talk about the issues of mission, God is building, and there's a building aspect, there's a mission aspect. Uh, the mission is twofold. It's incarnational or formative as it is operational. And we understand these things, and we, we are you know, asking the Lord of the harvest to supply all sorts of things. Let's look into our own journey as we learn this. Specific mission of LSA. Remember, Jesus sends right, the specific will of God that he gives to a people, to a church. Not every church has the same detail of the will of God. God's commissions according to the specific requirements, specific will of God that he grants or allocates or places upon a particular people. For us, that specific will of God is kingdom humanity. Kingdom humanity. And kingdom humanity is nothing but a revelation from God, a bedding that is placed inside of our own hearts. We describe it and define it as the arrangement of human life in Christ. The, the idea being this, that in the, the future battles of life are not going to be devotional. They're going to be based on arrangements. Already you are seeing a push from the world, a push from the world, to define who you are, regardless of whether you worship Jesus on a particular Sunday or not. More and more, the world really doesn't care who you believe in. Who you believe in. 
This is more and more going to become a reality for your children. The world cares less about what church you're part of, whether it's LSA or you know, whatever letters that you may use or abbreviations and all sorts of things. The world is pushing more and more to define. It says, well, keep your Jesus, but we'll tell you how to be human. That's the future. It's the future of these kids. It's already a future now, I mean a reality now, but it's a future of these kids. It says, go and worship Jesus, but we're going to tell you how to be. That's the struggle of kingdom humanity. You know, that. So kingdom humanity is moving the church into a new battle space. The arrangement of human life in Christ Jesus. The revelation of kingdom humanity is that church is not simply a devotional community. In other words, church is not just about Sunday morning. It's not just about buildings. And if you track most of the stuff that's been happening in church since Acts chapter 2 has tended to be confined within a, 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 um, a building. Even the great things that God has been doing inside of the church. The revelation of kingdom humanity is that church is not a devotional community, but church is the restoration of Russia's humanity. It is the restoration of Russia's humanity. Inside of kingdom humanity, we have a revelation that we have a threefold expression of Christ and of the faith before the world. And that is in the form of, number one, spirituality, number two, humanness, number three, citizenship. That's the revelation that God is, is giving to us. Spirituality, because as believers, we are priests unto God and are called to worship him. We're called to love our Jesus and to worship him and to pray. We are devotional beings, in other words. We, we love worshiping Jesus. That's the first thing. Number two, humanness, because we are human beings with characters and behaviors. But we are called to actually use our character and behavior as the agency of expressing Christ in the world. Right? Through my conduct, people must see holiness. Through my behavior, people must see purity. Number three, citizenship. Because not only are we devotional beings, not only are we human beings, but also we are spatial beings. How many of us know that this morning or this afternoon you came from a space that you call family? How, you know, um, and I'm, not, I'm not just talking about a physical structure, a house. I'm talking about the set of conditions and arrangements that surround you there. That's a space. And the Beckley, your Beckley and my Beckley and our Beckley is to, is, to, is, to, is to engage and keep on engaging and shifting conditions in that space to move them towards a place of righteousness. And so in the collection of conditions and arrangements in your space when we sum them up all the one word we should use is the word righteousness but we can equally in a context of unsaved people use the word wickedness or whatever you know so citizenship because we are special beings and we are called by God to bring the righteousness of God to a space of life imagine your workplace Imagine the culture there and what's going on. When people meet tomorrow morning and, and how do they tend to interact, men and women, bosses and subordinates, what is the 
predominant culture within that space. And how are you being used by Jesus to bring righteousness within that space? To shift the culture within that space. And that's the revelation of kingdom humanity. So it's in a very, very fundamental, basic you know, form, the revelation of kingdom humanity is that in Christ we have the arrangement of human life. And the reason why Christ is giving us an arrangement of life is because the battle of the future is a battle of arrangements. You know, the Bible talks about images, the image of Christ versus the image of the Antichrist. Or, you know, the image of God versus the image that comes from the world. As we stand before Jesus, there is an image that we see. So there's an arrangement. There's a cosmos that is coming from Jesus Christ. It is that, the revelation of kingdom humanity is that, you know, church is not just a devotional community. Church is the restoration of Russia's humanity through Christ. And that church must express her faith through the three areas of spirituality, humanity, and citizenship. And so basically, if you look at the word of God, the word of God speaks to you as a devotional being. Worship the Lord your God. You shall not worship other gods. And then the word of God speaks to you as a human. Be pure, be holy. All of these things flee from sexual immorality. Then the word of God speaks to you as a human being living within a structure of life. As an inhabitant, it tells you like issues of righteousness and justice and all of these things that we can think about. And so the word of God actually, when we started, is speaking, is speaking to us within the context of those three spheres. We've got to understand this. And that's the revelation of kingdom humanity. That's the revelation of kingdom humanity. Equally, if we think about it, what, what has God created? If you think about all these seven components, expressing themselves in spirituality, hum, humanness, and citizenship, is that God has created a spiritual reality, a human being, and he has created spaces. Right? Has God created spaces? Families, nations, and all these things, communities. Those ideas are coming from God. And so Christ, on the other hand, we need to have a devotional relationship with Jesus. We get saved, we worship him, just like what we did earlier. We were worshiping Jesus. But Jesus represents new humanity for us. Right? And he represents righteousness coming into the restoration. Isaiah 61 talks about, you know, the rebuilding of things, of bridges and cities and ruined things and all of these things. As believers, we are priests, we are humans, but also we are inhabitants. I mean, it goes right down to, you know, the, the parenting process. When you parent your child, you want your child to be saved, number one. You want your child to be a good human, number two. And you want your child to, have a, to be wise in their public, you know, in their, in their worldview. Right? And, and these things are important. That's what God has planted and placed upon us, LSA. That's the revelation of kingdom humanity. That's the specific mission that we have from the Lord. Why kingdom humanity? Because church has to grow and church has to come to the end. And the growth of church is both numerical and dimensional. We have to evangelize the world, yes? But church must also grow dimensionally in her functionality. 
If we only evangelize the world and not grow in terms of functionality, we still are not going to unlock the end. We want to unlock the end, don't we? And that's the reason why. Kingdom humanity. The mission will cost us. The mission will cost you and I. We must cross that line from believing in Christ to suffering for Christ. We must offer our lives in terms of devotion, purity, functionality. We must offer our time, but also we must offer our finances to the mission of the Lord. We must offer our lives, we must offer our time, but also we must offer our finances to what God is doing. If we recognize that there is something that God is building, then I think it's worth us offering our lives, yeah? Offering our time and offering our finances. Just, you know, getting this building and how many times did we have to visit this place and come and check things out. That's us offering our time. Offering our time. We must offer our lives. There's no point in offering your time if you haven't offered your life to Jesus. You've got to offer your life first. In fact, the rest, time and finance work when you have offered your, 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 your life first. Offer your life, offer your time, and offer your resources, your finances to God. What is God's system? How does God resource? How does God service his mission that he gives to a people? The mission of the kingdom is the enterprise that creates the human expenditure, right? How many of us know that it costs something to be here, to be in this building, to carry this mic? You know, everything costs something. So the mission of the kingdom is the enterprise that creates expenditure. It must be met by the faithful and generous giving of a people, the people of God. What is the principle? Why do we give? Like Mafa was telling us to give earlier. God has given us eternal life through Christ. In return, we have an obligation to give him our lives, our time, and our resources. My life, my time, my resources. And that's the system that God has created. It's a biblical system that God has created. Right? The mission of the kingdom of God is, the, is, it is the enterprise. This thing is very, very serious. It creates human expenditure. It must be met by the faithful and generous giving of the people of God. Because Christ, God has given Christ, we give back our lives, our time, and our resources. So things like attending church are important. You know, they are, they are an expression of our devotion to God. We are committed to the mission because God has called us to be committed to the mission. The system of God is seen throughout the word of God. You know, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, gave tithes, and the word tithe meaning a tenth of your wealth, as an expression of devotion and consecration to God. That's, that's the basic fundamental idea of tithe. That's way long before Moses would establish law. We see Abraham giving a tithe to Melchizedek in Genesis 14. We see Jacob giving a tithe in Genesis 28. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob these patriarchs express their worship to God 
by giving a tithe. The tabernacle of Moses that was built in the desert was built through free will offerings from people. It was the wealth that people had received through plundering the Egyptians. So when they were leaving Egypt, God caused Egyptians to extend favor to the Israelites and they got all this silver and gold. And the issue was this, that you were not supposed to take the silver and gold and then wipe your mouth and be secretive about it. Later in Exodus chapter 35, Moses asked, in fact, God asked Moses to ask the people that those who wanted to give, it was free will offering, it wasn't by manipulation, that they had to give for the building of the tabernacle. That's the system of God. When God established the nation of Israel, he commanded for the Levites to be set aside for the work of taking care of the temple, and the temple in the new covenant is the people, educating the nation on the law of God and all of those things. The Levites were like the lecturers of the nation. They were educators. In Numbers chapter 3, they are put and set aside to focus on this work of establishing the nation. In the new covenant, in terms of church, God has called for there to be full-time ministers or leaders in church whose work involves praying for church, ad- church's advance, which is vision. Vision. Developing doctrine, which is a sword that you and I need to use against the world. Right? Shepherding. And these must in turn uh, be properly remunerated through tithes and offerings. As we see in the word of God. Those scriptures in First, First Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. And that's the system of God and how the system works in the word of God. So we're rebuilding with few hands and few shoulders. That's the reality of the tension that the churches are finding themselves post-COVID is rebuilding with few hands and few shoulders. We're doing more with few hands. It is the metaphor of the five loaves and the two fish. Yeah? And in that metaphor, there was the human need was greater than the resource that was available. But God shows us something there that if we are faithful with what we have, you can, in fact, multiply it. Rebuilding with few hands. We must be faithful with our lives. Living for Jesus. We must be faithful with our time. We must be faithful with our finances. And of course, in rebuilding with few hands, Jesus inspires us and challenges us. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Yeah? Don't just have a pity party. Don't feel sorry for yourselves. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. We must be faithful and generous in the process with what God has entrusted. Generous with our lives. Generous with our time. Generous with our finances. Faithful with our lives. Faithful with our time. And faithful with our finances. That's how this thing works. So have we crossed the line, LSA, in not only believing, but also in suffering for? Yeah? What does it mean to be faithful for you and I in giving? What does it mean to be generous for you and I in giving? Are we teaching our children to commit their lives, their time, and their finances to the mission of God? 
I remember the little things that parents used to do. You know, they used to give you money before you left home. To give during offering. It's a good practice then. Because we're teaching and instilling in the lives of the young ones that there's something about giving my life, my time, and my finances to the mission of God. If I believe in that mission, then I must give my life, I must give my time, I must give my finances towards that mission. If I don't believe it, then I don't have to. If I don't believe in the mission, then I mustn't give those things. But if I believe in the mission, then I actually must give my time, my life, my time. There's an order there. There's a sequence there. It begins with my life. Then my time. Then my finances. I didn't say my millions. I said my finances. <laughs> I didn't say my billions. I said my finances. I love the scripture in 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 to 7. It lays a pattern for us and this is what we're going to use to conclude this meeting today. Paul writing to the Corinthians. And now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So Paul is writing to one church about another church. I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Interesting dynamic there, right? So generosity does not flow from millionaires. It does not flow from rich people. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Verse 3, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege. What? What's the word? Privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They actually wanted the opportunity, but we recognize they were going through difficulty and they were poor. But they looked and asked for the opportunity to do this. They were not like, I I wish Paul does not call for me. They actually approached Paul and they said, hey Paul, we want to please give us the opportunity to share our resources. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not as we expected. So they, they, they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, right? Give your life first. They gave themselves first to We're not interested in people giving their time and finances, but we have not given their lives to Jesus. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since we had, he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So Paul is saying, Corinthians, you better be coping the Macedonians. Verse 7, but just as you excel in everything... And he mentions those things in faith, in speech, 
knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us. See that you also excel in what? In this grace of giving. In what? This grace of giving. So Paul said, well, Corinthians, you're really good in some things here. You're really good in articulation. You're really good with your revelation, with your knowledge, with, with, with your preaching, with your love for us. But I want you to excel also in the grace of giving. Why is Paul talking to the churches like this? Because he understands there's a mission from God. And the mission of God is the, is the, is the, is the enterprise of the kingdom that creates the expenditure. Expenditure in terms of time, expenditure in terms of resources. And, and, and God has created a system by which there must be a flow of economy to take care of things. It, it's, it's a biblical principle. It's been created by God, not, not by a pastor, but by God. It's, it's what allows God to call people full-time into ministry. Because he knows that he has created a system. And so I want to give our lives first. That's important. Eh? Make sure that you've given your life to Jesus. Give your time. Don't be stingy with your time. You know? Let's make time for things. It's important. It's a mission of God. We love God. We love his mission. We love, I love going to malls and watching movies and whether it's Netflix. But hey, there's a time for the things of God. And you know, I can squeeze my time if I need to create more time for the things of God. I have no issue with that. Why? Because I love Jesus. It's, it's this love. No, no, nobody's put a gun on me and said, do this. It's love for Jesus. And of course, finances. And understand the system of God that is put is not a donation. Eh? A tithe is not a donation. Tithe is a, is a spiritual offering. A tithe is an expression of worship. It's an obligation I have before the Lord. It's my form of worship before Jesus. You know, there's a scripture that says Jesus stood by the offering basket. Have you read the scripture? <laughs> you know, Jesus is, is, was an interesting character. This one Sunday, he stood by the offering basket and was checking what people were giving. And he made an example of what generosity looks like out of a woman who gave probably the least out of all people. She gave the least out of nothing. And that is what generosity looks like. She was not a millionaire. And Jesus said, well, if you want to learn what generosity looks like. You know, sometimes when we don't have, not having, lacking, can create stingy people. And we don't want to be stingy. LSA. We, we have a word from God. We have a mission from God. And we need to be faithful to that mission in life, in time, and in finances. Wealthy communities have their own demons. But poor communities also have their own demons. Not knowing what you're going to eat tomorrow can create stingy hearts. 
Remember the widow that was approached by, you know, the prophet and said, give me what you have. And he said, I have, I have, I have, I have last supper here. Last dinner and then we die, me and my son. And well, the prophet said, well, go ahead, go ahead and give to me. It's like you have these pictures of God challenging people out of poverty to give to something. And I think these are beautiful, beautiful pictures we have in the word of God. Has God given us a mission? Yes, he has. And that wish, mission is worth, is worth our lives, our time, and our finances, LSA. Be faithful with your tithes. Tithe is not a donation. It's not a, you, you know, you're not supposed to be living out of 100% of your salary. The 10% is really not yours. Be faithful with your tithes. Don't budget with the 10% of God. That's not good. But why do we want to be faithful with our tithes? Because we have a mission from God. And we love it. We embrace it. He has entrusted to us something that he's watching. Come on, Elise, let's do this. I mean, if God needed just 10 people to save Sodom and Gomorrah, how many people are here? More than 10, right? Yeah? More than 10. God needed just 10 people to save Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, with, with people here, you represent worlds and people and relationships and resources. And we want to give to the mission of God. I think it's a responsible thing to do. If God has given us something, LSA, and has entrusted to us, Jude says God has entrusted to us, you know, stuff. What Jude says to the, to the saints. Then we have an obligation to give back in, in the form of life, in the form of time, in the form of finances. There is an economy, an economic system that within which church operates. And I want to encourage you and I, let's be faithful to that. Let's be faithful to the mission of the Lord. Let's be faithful to what God is saying. And, and is church actually important and significant in, deter, in determining human destiny? Yeah, in determin- determining what happens with, in the, in, with human life and with people, with communities, with societies. Is a word like kingdom humanity a resource from God designed to improve the human condition? Yes, it is. And if it is, and you recognize that that's what it is, then it, 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 it is worth my life, it is worth my time, it is worth my resources, my finances. There are kingdom humanity meetings coming in September. It's worth my time. Diarize it. The first person to attend is you. Because you are the first recipient of this word. It's worth your time. You're not saying kingdom humanity, but sitting in the evening watching TV while kingdom humanity meetings are taking place. Because your destiny is not going to be determined by that television, how many of us know. Your sons and daughters are not going to be raised by that television. Your sons and daughters are dependent on how you and I labor to create the systems of God. To protect these girls and boys in the future. Not by education. Academic qualification is not what will protect them. It's the word from God creating a structure out of that word. You can take them to the best universities and best high schools, 
They can still fall into drugs. I mean, we're hearing more and more cases of kids from affluent families falling into drugs, falling into depression, all sorts of emotional situations. Nothing is guaranteed anymore. Look around you. I mean, in the 80s, when we grew up, we thought education was everything. It's like, yeah, just get a degree, you'll be fine. But I think it's becoming more and more apparent now that nothing is guaranteed. And that our safety is in the word of the Lord. Building that word, cultivating that word, creating uh, life around that word. And that word becomes your future. And so you've got to be faithful to that word through life, through time, through your finances. And there's, like I said earlier, there's a way this thing works. This is not a do- donation. It's a, it's, a, it's a spiritual offering to God. It's a, it's a form of worship. Just like when we lift up our hands and worship God. We're not donating, we are expressing something before the Lord. Amen.